Hello and welcome to another episode of Brothers Creed Podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I am Jared. And I'm Ethan. And today we are talking with a repeat guest, Toby Gagnon. Thank you for joining us today, Toby. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, as uh, you might remember from uh, our uh, home preparedness and home uh, tactical, home, tactical home preparedness episode, uh, Toby kind of dabbles in a lot of different things. Actually, one of those main things is, is a firearms instructor. Um, and so we wanted to have him on again to kind of talk more uh, around the the gun aspects, firearm aspects of, of whether it be just home protection or uh, personal protection, interests, hobbies, uh, things you should know, things you shouldn't do, you should do, uh, and everything in between. So it's going to be a good one. Let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right, uh, uh, Toby. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got so many. We've got just just rapid fire questions for Let's you. Let's do it. Rapid and, fire. Uh, thanks for having me out, guys. But hey, can course, I yeah. can yeah. I actually interject here? Oh yes, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this: Have you guys ever been given a gift by one of your guests? Uh, we actually we we have one time. Well, a book, that, a book, a book, book. Yeah, a book yeah. is someone you're, getting, getting, a, a you're getting a gift tonight. So oh, I know oh, I, I know oh. it's audio only format. You guys got to fight over the colors. I'm giving oh. them tactical pens. Cool. So they are just traditional ink pens with uh, Fisher inserts, Fisher space pen inserts. So you can refill them, and uh, they twist to open, twist to close. They're made of an aluminum housing, and uh, they're obviously sturdy, so they could be used oh, yeah. in a defensive situation we've all seen the jason Bourne film where he yeah. gets the guy with the oh the pen right in the hand yeah and then yeah. he blows up the building with the toaster which is pretty cool but is awesome. this is not that this is something you should carry <laughs> with you every day so next time we meet up again i'm gonna i'm gonna check you and you should have your pen on you nice thank you so much yeah thank awesome. you hey man moving on up hey dude. our guests are bringing us uh that's a good trend i like that yeah. appreciate that is it, there's um yeah thank you very much there's a guy uh i think he wrote a book it's like 101 skills of a navy seal or something Clint like emerson that. yeah and um he talks about it you know how to like hold a pen and like putting your thumb on the back of it and how you can like um you know if you get the technique right you can like uh you know punch a pen through a a, a a sheet of plywood if you if you had enough force against it which it's all about pounds per square inch kind of crazy really small point on that yeah, yeah which kind of crazy they're gonna, start ban- they're gonna start banning these on airlines i know seriously <laughs> certain ones absolutely well so tsa you know they have the ability to do whatever they want every agent does so these ones just look like pens they don't have the tactical pointiness to it so mm-hmm. yeah like a window break or anything like that right just, have, you, have you seen the um the bullet uh like antennas that you can put on your tr- your cars yes that's what I f- at first I thought this is that's what it was. No. was like, oh, I actually need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is a pen. You're going to carry this with you. Awesome. The, p- the pen is mightier than the bullet. That's right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It depends it depends on who's wielding which. <laughs> it, de- yeah. it depends on the battle, right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, great. Th- thank you very much. Um, you know, c- kind of getting into the the topic of the day. Um, what? Uh, so, so you're a firearms instructor. I am. What are there certain courses that you are particular to, or that you teach more than others, or, or tell us a little bit about your backgrounds in, in firearm instructing? Yeah, so I became a firearms instructor through five or six years ago now. I forget. Um, and I've been teaching for 
that exact amount of time. And the reason I got into it was I actually went to college to be an educator. I went to, went to be an elementary school teacher and quickly learned that I loved working with the children. But unfortunately, the parents of elementary school children can be very, very difficult. And it wasn't something that I wanted to do. So I ended up moving and going into sales, but I still had a passion for teaching and instructing. And I also had a passion for firearms. So it just seemed like the perfect opportunity to blend those two passions together and become an instructor. And it's interesting because I don't have a law enforcement background. I don't have a military background. So how could I set myself apart as an instructor? And what I chose to do was to go after the brand new student, somebody who's never taken any training whatsoever and get them into the game. And I like to consider myself, uh, at the risk of sounding immodest, I, I like to consider myself easy to get along with in most cases. And uh, because of that, I, I approach things differently. I approach it more from a practical standpoint than a uber tactical, you know, the world is ending tomorrow, we're going to go out and fight another civil war thing. So I, I approach yeah. it very practically. Do you ever feel like imposter syndrome amongst like people who are ex-military or like, you know, these people who have been steeped in battle and you're kind of an, a firearms instructor? Do you ever feel like that way? No, that that's a great question. That's a, that's I a don't. deep question. It is. It is. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, contrary to what I might wear at some of my trainings, right? No, I don't. Um, I don't feel that way because I never claimed to be law enforcement or military. And in fact, in my classes, I say that right up front. No law enforcement, no military background. I'm just a redneck who likes to teach and shoot. And uh, I just happened to be born in a part of the, at least the United States that didn't really like either of those things. So I had yeah. to move to a place that liked it. But um, no, I don't because I don't teach tactics. So the way I look at my training is I provide the students an opportunity, an opportunity to build or set a solid foundation on which they can later build upon. So if you think of it like building a house, I am setting that, that foundation. I'm building the basement or what we're pouring the slab of concrete and then they're going to go elsewhere and they're going to build their structure on top of that you can't take an advanced training class unless you have the fundamental fundamentals down packed the instructor will tell you hey thanks for coming thanks for your money but you're not safe you're out of here so i want to bring those students to a point where they feel safe and can do this thing you know do these things kind of in their sleep from a safety aspect so they can go and, and build and develop those tactics and develop that further advanced training so to get these certifications, I know that your certifications are through the NRA. Is that correct? So there are very few bodies that actually provide firearm instructor credentials, the NRA being the most prevalent. So yes, my instructor credentials are through the National Rifle Association. And which ones do you have? I am a certified uh, range safety officer. I am also certified pistol, rifle, and shotgun instructor. Okay. What other, what other, what else do they have? Oh gosh, they've got everything. They'll take your money for anything. Oh uh, yeah, uh, sure. Uh, personal protection inside the home, personal protection outside the home. They do reloading courses. They do all kinds of stuff, quite frankly. I just go on their website and type in uh, instructor training. Yeah. yeah, training, and you'll see a list of Is all that like the like a continuing education thing? You have to keep paying for that every year? Uh, every other year, you got to cut them a check. Um, and it's not a continuing education thing, which is kind of where I, I'm, I'm really not a fan of, put it this way, I went through my instructor level training and there were plenty of people that were alongside of me as students in those classes becoming instructors that I would never take a class from. Um, there were plenty of people like that. So 
don't confuse a piece of paper with a, with a document that says yeah. you've passed with somebody who knows what they're doing. And I would attribute that to a college education as well. Yeah. What, uh, what's your favorite course to teach? My intro to AR, because I am a huge fan of the AR pattern rifles or pistols or whatever firearms. And, uh, I love it because I get somebody who comes in who bought it and never took it out of the box that it came in. And they leave the class knowing how to go home, take it apart, clean it, safely uh, prepare it, lubricate it, inspect it, and also how to operate it. Uh, I have a guy that I'm friends with. Um, We actually work at the same place as well. But uh, he came up to me one one day and was like, hey, um, you are familiar with firearms, right? Do you go shooting? And I was like... I'm familiar, but I don't have any. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, I was like, yeah, I do. I mean, we we were good friends, uh, or we are good friends. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I do. You know, I shoot on occasion, and I, I enjoy firearms. And he was like, yeah, man. Back in last February, before the pandemic hit, he's like, I kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he said, I went out and I bought an AR and a nine millimeter pistol. And he goes, and they're just sitting in the bottom of my closet. He goes, I don't know how they work. I don't know what they do. I mean, obviously he knows what they do, but he was just like, you know, can we go like go shooting or something? Those are my people. Send them to me. My goodness, send them to me. And, um, I I was like, yeah, sure. You know, in a controlled environment, um, you know, we, we have access to some, uh, potentially some land where we can go out in a very controlled environment and, and shoot. And I was like, yeah, I'd be happy to kind of show you some, some basics. Right. I mean, I'm not certified or whatever, but friend to friend and, um, and and I had kind of suggested that to him, like, yeah, well, maybe you know, we should potentially take a course or get you get your concealed carry, you know, take your concealed carry course or something like that, just something to get you a little bit of education outside of. He he wasn't scared to use it, but it was almost like he kind of was because he just wasn't familiar. A healthy level of fear. A healthy level of fear is never a bad thing. Whether it's children learning how to ride a bike or somebody new into firearms, healthy level of fear can actually keep you very safe. So I'm I'm glad to hear that they had that. I'm also glad to hear, hopefully, that you took them out and showed them this is how you don't hurt yourself, kind of thing. I'm not, you know, necessarily saying you're teaching them all the, all the things, but at least when it comes to stored at the home and all that kind of stuff, yep. that's a good thing to do. Well, actually, it turns out that uh, this was a couple months ago that he came to me and he was like, "Well, I only bought like 50 rounds." Oh boy! And I was like, he was like, "I just need to run out and get some ammunition." And I was like. Okay, maybe we can do it next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, run out and grab some ammunition right now. Yeah. Well, I um, you know, I actually have had the privilege of taking your intro to AR class. You did, and uh, it was it was good. Uh, I personally, I felt like I was a little bit more on the advanced side for the class. I, I felt like some of the folks in the class were like brand brand new. They were, and they were just like all over the paper, you know. And and so, um, but I, I liked the, I liked the part that I liked the most was the instruction about how to clean it, how to take it apart, uh, you know, all the parts and stuff. That's something that. I hadn't been been run through or or, or knew exactly how to clean it and and loop it up and everything like that. So that was incredibly valuable to me. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting how some of the people there were experienced with firearms, but not with the AR platform. They hadn't hadn't really used it very much or they hadn't uh, sighted in their rifles or they just were brand new to it. So it's interesting how some people, even though they might be experienced around firearms, they might not be experienced with that type of gun. So I'm glad you said that right here up front because there was something I wanted to make sure that I mentioned on this podcast to you guys and also to your listeners is do not confuse longevity with expertise. Just because something has been do- somebody's been doing something for 25 years doesn't mean they actually know what they're doing and more importantly doesn't mean they can teach it to you or impart that knowledge on you. So 
if you do something wrong for 25 years, doesn't you just know how to do it wrong. That's all. Also, if you're not doing your continuing education aspect of it, like we talked about earlier, technology changes, technique changes, different things. If you think back to early 80s movies and you watch, you know, cops shoot in early 80s movies and, and shootouts and things, and then you fast forward to something like uh, London Has Fallen, which is a fantastic movie with Gerard Butler. Awesome movie, but the gunplay in that is very realistic. You, those are two extremely stark, 30 years apart. So in 30 years' time, you can see how that changes in movies, which means it obviously changed in real life to then affect the movie. So yeah, don't confuse longevity with expertise. Even going, even like uh, the police force changing platforms from a revolver to a semi-automatic pistol. Yep. I mean, it's just something that someone's like, oh, I was a police officer for... You know, 57 years, it's like, well, things have changed a little bit, potentially. Absolutely. I've actually had people buy an AR just to take my class. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, my one of my first experiences with, with owning my own AR, I, I got an AR and um, was uh, did tons of research and, and watched probably a million YouTube videos, and then I took it out to the range, and I had bought it used. Um, I, t- I took it out to the to the land, and uh, it was malfunctioning. It was having uh, what sh- short stroking. It wasn't uh, properly feeding. And I was just like, dang it, you know. And so I ended up taking it all apart and putting it all back together. And then it was still doing it. And then I went through A, through a B, C, D, E, F, G, and then finally was able to identify that the, the gas block wasn't lined up properly all and then that. it wasn't in all yeah. that but the thing was is that all that education gave me gave me the the kind of the skills or the know-how to be able to understand how it functioned mm-hmm. um you know obviously there's still have so much more to learn about it but it was like i don't know i, I kind of like that aspect and then been able to say oh okay well the guy sold it to me because it wasn't working right well it works right now so right yeah i exactly. got a little bit of a discount yeah there you go <laughs> exactly Cool. Um, so, uh, have you ever had? And this is kind of interesting. Uh, let me preface this with a story. Deal. So, um, my dad, uh, he went to a, um, I think it was a concealed, it was a concealed, it was carry, a concealed course, yeah. carry course, right? And he uh, was sitting in the in the room, and there was maybe I don't know twenty people in the course and everything. And this was probably thirty years ago, and um, they. Uh, everybody in the in the classroom, they were sitting in these, you know, like old school, um, uh, like m- school chairs that had like the the metal chairs you're sitting in with that had the actual desk on it attached to it, attached yeah. to it. And so they said, okay, everybody, you know, pull out your fire, your unloaded firearms, and um, you know, uh, open the chamber and put it on the desk in front of you. And so my dad was sitting in the front row because he got in there a little bit early. And so, you know, everybody in the class pulled out their firearms and, and uh, opened the, the slide and locked the slide open and put it on the table, or my dad did. And then the guy behind him was kind of rustling or whatever. And and then my dad said, all of a sudden, he just heard, boom. And the guy behind him, trying to unload his pistol, accidentally discharged, and it shot right underneath my dad's chair and concrete was like, like came up from under his chair, like into his legs. And the bullet ricocheted, went into the drywall. Yeah. 
And he said the guy was so embarrassed that he just collected his stuff, got no, up. He and pa- no, he passed out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. actually I was talking to my dad after we went to the class, and he's like, yeah, the guy passed out for like 10 minutes. And then when he came to, he just got his stuff and left. Ran out and left. My and I goodness. Was like, he's probably about to die of shame that he just, I would leave too. <laughs> yeah. It, it, my dad, I remember my dad saying, he was probably the guy that shouldn't have left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yep. so, so that was a preface story too. Have you ever had any type of situation where, especially whenever you're teaching people that are very new to firearms, um, certain platforms or whatever, have you ever had any kind of incident? Like that, or or, or ex- an extreme safety incident where you had you had to really correct it. So I am happy to report that no, I have not had anybody light around off underneath somebody else. So that's pretty good. Um, and Jared, you, you obviously, like you mentioned, you sat through my course, and um, I am a firm believer in safety. The safety has to be paramount. It has to be number one. Everybody should leave with the same number of holes that they showed up with. Right? That's that's goal number one. But how much time did we spend at the beginning of that class? I literally read range safety rules, and then we went through and said, in the event of a situation, everybody's going to have a job, and there's going to be a person, a backup person to that in case that's the person that gets hurt, right? And we went through and detailed it. I wrote it down on a on a piece of paper uh, right there, hung it, magneted it to the board so everybody could see it, and then on the back side was the script for the person who had to dial 911 and have the conversation. So, no, I, I have not had, thankfully, a, a safety concern especially to that nature. Now, you're going to get people who, when they pick up their firearm, the first thing they do is they put their finger on the trigger. That's that's every new shooter, basically. So, yeah, there's things like that we have to correct. But my assistant instructors, uh, I, I personally pick them for a very specific reason. And it's not just about, oh, yeah, they know what they're doing, but it's they also know how to teach. And they also complement my teaching style. Because I don't want somebody who's uber-tactical necessarily teaching alongside me because all we're going to do is be at odds when we're teaching a class which is not what students need so I don't have anything like that but I mean just just your general stuff I've had site failures uh, firearm malfunctions whether it was student induced or made you magazine induced or ammunition induced whatever it was I've had those equipment failures slings belts things like that general stuff that just fails so I carry a full tool set when I go and I teach a class, because the last thing I want is for somebody to come and in the first hour of the class, their firearm goes down. And now they've just gone out all this money. They've spent all this time. They've scheduled maybe, you know, in some people's cases, had to take a vacation day off of work to come and do this. I don't want them to miss out. So I do my best to get things up and running. But um, there are (laughs) uh, at the class, Jared, that you took, there was a gentleman there whose firearm malfunctioned and there wasn't anything I could do about it that day. The gas block. Yep. To your point, Ethan, it actually started to walk itself off the gun. So every time the gun recoiled, it moved forward just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit until it got to the point where it no longer functioned. Um, and we were able to get him a different firearm to be able to continue to use that. I uh, think he said his cousin built that one. Yeah, and he worked for like a gun that. manufacturer. <laughs> I told him to call sounds his like, cousin. Sounds like your uh, your set screws weren't set very well. Uh, if they were set screws, yeah, they might have been uh, roll pins and the dent, indent on the barrel might, might have been wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't in- inspect it uh, beyond that. Um, I took, I took a class and there was a gen, I was a student in the class and there was a guy who actually had the barrel nut walk itself off. So that wasn't completely torqued. So every time he shot, it unscrewed itself to the point where the barrel was just flopping around and he goes, man, I can't hit anything and I'm not, I'm not accurate anymore. And you just grab the end of the barrel. You could wiggle it like a pencil <laughs> and you're like, okay, bud, maybe you should get a different gun because we can't torque this down right now. <laughs> 
Wow. That one was interesting. Uh, ant bites. I've taken classes where <laughs> I've literally had liquid cow crap all over my gear. Um, and probably the, the funniest one that I had, I'm taking this class, same cow crap uh, place, and we're in the middle of this cow pasture, and we're shooting across a valley uh, to another hill on the other side. And as we're shooting, a, a thunderstorm literally comes rolling up the valley. So we got an opportunity to shoot in the rain and all this stuff. But it was a thunderstorm, and we are under the pop-up canopies that you would buy at like a Walmart or something. And everybody goes, oh, you know, the wind comes in. Oh, everybody everybody, hold these things. Make sure they don't fly away. So we had grown men holding onto these metal structures with a thunderstorm rolling in. Needless to say, I wasn't anywhere near them. I was over holding the tarps down on the ground or something. I was like, nope, I'm, I'm not fixing that stupid, no. It wasn't like the pool where they, they if they hear thunder, even if it's 20 miles away, they're like, oh, you have to get out for 30 minutes. No, absolutely not. In fact, I actually got, um, so at the end of the class, the the instructor, who's, who's a very well-known man, he um, he has stickers. You know, hey, you completed the course, here's your sticker. And he has a secondary sticker that he only gives to students who have been through a course that included rain and thunderstorms and things like that. And the, the sticker actually says you're a certified non-golfer. <laughs> Which is really funny because obviously golfers are, are fair weather, yeah. fair weather gamers. So that was pretty cool. That's funny. It's, it's funny. One time I was up with some buddies and I'm like, you know, we should. Well, actually, these were some some new buddies and I didn't know them very well. They didn't know me very well. But I was like, you know, we should go to the range sometime, guys. And they're like, yeah, actually, I got some new clubs the other day. I'm like, oh, that's not the range I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll meet you there. <laughs> yep. Wrong crowd. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit, Toby. One of the things that Ethan and I had talked about previously in an episode was, uh, we talked about five guns every guy should own. And we put some thought into that. And we, one of the things we wanted to ask you about, uh, in your experience, maybe not quite five guns, but what are some of the first, uh, uh, if someone's getting into owning owner gun ownership, what do you think that, uh, maybe the first gun or two is that they should own, um, maybe for, uh, you know, home preparedness or just right. for... Maybe it was one or two or three if you have a special. So I listened to your Five Guns episode, and it was very, very cool to listen to. Obviously, the firearms instructor in me had different opinions, and that's cool. We get to, we get to talk about all that. Uh, so I'm so glad you asked this question. But you, in order to understand my answers to this, you have to put context behind it. Because without context, it's like saying, what vehicle should I buy? Well, what do you do? Do you do you drive two miles to work each day, or are you hauling lumber back and forth across the country? It's two completely different things. So yeah. you have to have context. So I'm going to provide the context, and I'm going to say this is a brand new, we'll call it a, a 24-year-old who wants to have a, a good understanding of the tools that are out there because they've seen mainstream media and they all they all they're being told is one thing and they want to experience it for themselves. They're they're rational thinkers. They want to vet their own stuff. They may want one for personal protection at some point, and they just want to, if they like it, go out and have fun and do sport shooting and target shooting and things like that. That's not to say they don't eventually evolve into the competition realm or go down the hunting route, but I'm going to provide the context to say it's just like a 24 year old, just getting into it kind of thing. Um, and you can insert your own age or whatever here. But yeah, I think the very first thing you need to do is you need to understand what ultimately you want to do right with that first firearm. Cause there could be a million different things, but you need to understand what you want to do. And then second is you have to understand the laws in your locale. Whatever that is, whether that's the yeah, United absolutely. States, whether that's our, our 
neighbors to the north in Canada or if you're overseas in Europe or Asia or something like that. We, you do, have, we do have global listeners. Right. Or, you guys are bigger. Yeah. you got a big footprint out there, right? <laughs> or it's growing, but it is global. <laughs> right. So you have to understand the laws because there are certain things I'm sure you're going to want, going to want that you may not be able to get. So it's pointless to, to spend all the time and energy researching that up front. So yeah. what I would recommend for this 24-year-old would be a full-size 22 pistol. Not a, a small little something or other, not a 22 rifle, but a full-size. Something like a the new Glock 44 would be a good one. Uh, Smith & Wesson M&P 22 pistol. Not something like a Ruger. Um, like a Remington Ruger, Buckmark? Like a, like a Ruger Buck. Mark II or something like that. Right, like a Mark II, Mark IV, whatever. Not something like that, but something that resembles a a traditional modern firearm. And the reason for that, like even Taurus, Taurus makes a really good one now. Yeah. Um, the reason for that is if you ever chose to carry that, it would look like the real thing and it would still function as a firearm, of course, but it, it would look like the real thing. And obviously as you transition up, you've already held and manipulated the exact same thing. So if you chose to go to a larger caliber, you've already got that. So my recommendation, truthfully, would be a full-size 22 pistol. The other thing, too, is, let's say you don't Revolver know... Revolver or semi-auto? Semi-auto, full-size, yep. Full-size, semi-auto, uh, a modern replica. And the other thing, too, is it's inexpensive to shoot, relatively inexpensive to shoot. It is also very easy to store safely because you don't need this big, long cabinet thing. You don't have to worry about get something that slides under the bed. You can put it in a smaller, lockable case and then put it on a high shelf somewhere. Or you can put it in a backpack and hide that somewhere. Out of sight, out of mind. It's it's tough to steal something you don't know somebody has. Yeah. And ultimately, too, it's usually rather less expensive overall. 22s tend to cost less than full size or full caliber. Yep. Um, and and plus, shoot it with your wife or your girlfriend. My wife loves shooting. We have a 20, I have a 22 like revolver pistol, and that's one of her favorite ones. It's like a one of those rough, Henry Rough Riders, and she yeah. loves shooting. I love shooting it, too. It's kind of like a... Old cowboy shooting. Yeah, a little single action. They're nice. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So that would be the first one I'd recommend, a twenty-two pistol. Yep. Good. Very good. I I think it's a, that's a great one. Yeah. Now, if you want to walk up from there, right? So so you've got your twenty-two. Um, I would say to move up from there, I would move into something. Again, it depends on what you want, but you can go from that twenty-two pistol up into something like a full size. So let's say you got bought a Glock forty-four. The next logical transition from that would be something like a Glock nineteen. If you got the Smith and Wesson M&P twenty-two pistol, you get a Smith and Wesson M&P nine or M&P forty or forty-five, whatever it is, and they're going to feel and function similarly. Well, here's a question. So I guess the counter argument, not argument, just opinion to that would be, you know, people who are unfamiliar with firearms stepping right into a pistol. I would say a pistol is more dangerous than a rifle because you can turn it very easily, uh, especially when you're teaching like you know kids how to shoot. Always start with a rifle because uh, they can't just turn it around on them so easily. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, like I, I would think that maybe like a ten twenty two would have been the next step instead of like a, a higher caliber pistol. But we're just wanting your thoughts on that. Well, again, it goes back to what do you want to do with it, too. Um, if you just want to stay in that twenty-two caliber realm, then, yeah, you can go with a twenty-two caliber rifle next. So twenty-two pistols are lightweight, generally. They're also, if you if you get the, um, instead of a revolver, if you get a semi-automatic, they're typically a lot easier to rack. So somebody with arthritis, with weaker hands, with some sort of uh, uh, disability may have an easier time with something like that. 
um, I understand what you're saying, you know, being able to turn around, which means you have to spend more time teaching them the safety aspect of it, which means they are more involved. They have more to lose, quite frankly. So they have to pay attention more. But I would argue that most people don't get trained. I completely agree with that. Most people don't have anybody to train them. And so when they are getting started, they're just on their own. I think a lot of it's self-taught or or people are maybe too uh, proud to ask for help. In a situation like Especially that. Especially guys around guns. Yeah. I think sometimes oh, they're yeah. like, oh, I'm a guy. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Our you know? ego's getting away real bad. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, or I grew up, you know, I grew up shooting shotguns. I know how this AR works. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they're Not pretty really. different. Yeah. Yeah. They are. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand your opinions and, and your sort of, you know, the arguments coming yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Absolutely. There's just so many ways to look at it, I think. But but I, 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 like, what, I, I like what you're saying. So Lightweight, easy to use, relatively inexpensive, easy to store cheaper overall generally and uh, it gives you that stepping stone that you can have now with a rifle they are heavier they're more expensive they're tougher to to store safely and uh, while it's tougher to obviously turn around on yourself yes yeah of course but then it's also harder to manipulate and it's it's easier to teach a pistol grip than it is a rifle grip because a pistol grip generally stays the same across different shooting positions, whereas with a rifle, if you're shooting prone and or you have some sort of rest up front, your left hand no longer needs to be under the front of the gun, and then it comes back, and do you teach a, a, a C-clamp grip, you know, something like that? There's a lot of different things you could do with that. I think it depends on what you're shooting. Are you shooting a hunting rifle? Right. Are you shooting an AR? Are you shooting an AK? Do you have a, a forward grip? Do you have a, a you know, a, a, a drop grip or whatever it may be? So mm-hmm. Or a thumb hole grip. You know, yeah. Like the, yeah. Um, I, I liked what you said, um, kind of that stepping stone principle of, um, you know, getting something that maybe feels more manageable, something a little bit easier to learn on, um, something that you can potentially put a lot of rounds through and it's not going to be, you know, if maybe people are budget budget conscious or whatever else it may be, um, just kind of get that muscle memory down with a, a firearm, you know, let's say that 22. And if you're interested in concealed carrying, then carry that around with you. And then you probably won't notice that much of a difference when you move up, depending on what you move up to. Right. Um, you know, then it's just kind of that, that preparation. So, did you have another one? Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah, so if if you if you're looking at that progression, if you go from that 22 semi-automatic and move into let's say a nine millimeter, let's say you go from a Glock 44 to a Glock 19, that's a natural progression. I. That's what I would say would be the second one. Again, sticking with this the same person in mind, I have a bias here, but I really think your next firearm should be an AR-patterned firearm, whether that's an AR pistol, an AR rifle, whatever it is, because they are utilitarian, right? I know that you guys talked about the 22 caliber rifle as being kind of the do-all rifle uh, in your podcast, your five-gun episode, and I see the AR as that. Because you can do sport shooting with it, you can do home protection with it, you can do hunting with it in most states. And even if you get to a state that maybe, let's take Ohio for instance, you can't deer hunt. My understanding is you can't deer hunt in Ohio with a bottleneck cartridge. Well, enter the 350 Legend, which they now have chambered in an AR patterned rifle. So you get into an AR in a non-bottleneck cartridge, a straight wall cartridge, and now you can go deer hunting with it. And they're generally, 
easier to carry because they have two different sling points. You can attach things like flashlights so you can see where you're going in the dark on the way to your tree stand or whatever and coming back out, things like that. So I would say the AR patterned rifle is that next, your third. Yeah, interesting. I, I think <clears throat> that's definitely one. And then, like we said, it protects you against the government, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, protect against Hope, tyranny. And then hopefully, that, hopefully not. But I don't know. Yeah. And then that twenty-two rifle—that's that's the next one. So that would be what I would say is number four. So twenty-two rifle. Pick your flavor. Whether you want a ten twenty-two. Personally, I chose to go with a twenty-two rifle that was modeled after the AR, the bigger brother, uh, bigger cousin, is because I wanted to be able to when I go out and shoot that twenty-two rifle to be able to function and feel just like I'm holding the big one. Similar to the 22 pistol, let's say Glock 44 and Glock 19, now I've got a Smith & Wesson M&P 1522 Sport 2, long name, and maybe my AR is a Smith & Wesson M&P 1520 or M&P 15 Sport 2. I had a uh, I had a, a Mossberg AR platform chambered in a 22. Man, that thing jammed like yeah. no other. I ended up getting so I, I ended up getting rid of it. It was just like terrible. Is it the seven oh two? Yeah, it was like seven oh two T or something. Right, the seven oh two tactical. Yeah. So basically they made it they took their seven oh two firing, the, the, all that and stuff. And they just put plastic and they just AR put a different around it. body on it. Yeah. It's like they took they took a fiat or you know, the the what is it, the fiat and they tried to make a Ferrari Testarossa out of it, right? It's yeah. just a body kit. Yeah, but I did like it. I mean it it, it, it felt familiar. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you can get a good one to kind of practice with, on. With hunting, though, I think most of the rules that I've seen, it's around magazine limits. And so you can't have a certain number of bullets in a magazine uh, in the in your hunting rifle. So get a 10-round AR mag. Yeah. Well, I think it actually is only like four. Can you get like a four-round mag? Is so I, I, I'm sure you can put blocks in so in like for instance the yeah, state so of massachusetts yeah. there's a limiter you buy a th- what looks like a 30 round mag but there's a block in it, a little piece of plastic that slides up through the middle of the magazine uh through the magazine spring and it limits it to only 10 rounds i'm sure you can get similar limiters you do the yeah. same thing with like uh shotguns and stuff they have shot- the same exactly one. for migratory Eas- like easily easily removable but don't quote me on that right exactly <laughs> we're not telling you this is how you should do it we're telling you again this is all about understanding things and education it, it, it exists you shouldn't do it but it exists if there's one regulatory body you don't want to run a foul against it's fishing game it, <laughs> they're out there too they man they get out in the woods they get dirty yep. yeah yeah <laughs> yep. and then lastly truthfully the, the fifth or sixth depending on how you look at it is a semi-automatic shotgun not a pump action shotgun pump actions they beat the ever-loving snot out of you. So I recommend a semi-automatic. Let that spring mechanism inside the buttstock take some of that oomph away for you. So Benelli M4, um, Mossberg, what is it, the 930 platform, I know is one of them. There's there's a bunch of them out there, but yeah. Yeah, that, that that's great. I mean, I think a lot of what you said, too, is dependent on what you're doing with it. You know, if the, if the, person, oh, yeah. if the person who you know, maybe has a family member who's into skeet shooting or trap shooting or something, then their first firearm is probably going to be a shotgun. Probably going to be a shotgun. Over, under, or side by side, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I, that's great. That's uh, I value your opinion on that. It's, so, it's interesting to hear. And that's all it is. It is only my opinion. And, and it's coming from a place of, right, I am, I have experiences in my life, but my experiences aren't the same as your guys at this table or anybody else out there for that matter. So their experience is going to dictate what they go into. And how they approach their training, more importantly. Yeah. So it's almost like asking 
what's if you of all the food out there, what would you suggest to eat first? And pizza. it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, steak. Well, I'm Italian, so pizza, of course, you know. So it, it just can vary so so widely. But I totally agree. Uh, I think that one of the ones I have heard of an arguments for is that the 22 is a great 22 AR platform. AR style is really good for home defense because. You know, if, when you're panicked and something's happening, you just kind of pray and spray. Uh, you mean a 12 gauge? No, the 22. Oh, you're you're saying just start lighting them off. That's 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 an argument that I have heard is that like yeah. you know if you're if you have a, a pistol with only nine bullets uh, and you're panicked and you're not shooting straight, uh, a 22 semi-auto AR style would be better because you could just. I don't know if the spray and pray method is ever a good method, but. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Especially in your own house. <laughs> well, you do have exactly, and then then you need to be concerned about your neighbors. So yeah, exactly. But with twenty two, it's not going to travel far. You'd be surprised how, just how potent a twenty two caliber round can be, because there's a bunch of different loadings out there, yeah, um, similar true. to like a twelve gauge. There's there's all kinds of stuff. So I personally choose an AR fifteen chambered in five point five six NATO or two two three Remington, depending on what you want, but. Basically, I choose an AR, and I'm using a 55-grain full metal jacket. You could get 77-grain, open-tip match, whatever. But that round was designed, as soon as it meets any kind of, I don't know, resistance to begin to tumble, to begin to pitch and yaw and roll. So as it begins to go through, let's say, drywall with no other, no sheetrock, or just sheetrock, no insulation, no 2x4s, it will actually become no longer ballistic it's it's no longer a, a bullet traveling through the air it's a piece of metal moving really fast uh weirdly mm-hmm. right so it actually won't penetrate near as well as a nine millimeter coming out of a four and a half inch barrel if and there's of course tons of studies and videos out there you guys could go on youtube and look at this but you can shoot through more uh layers of drywall with a nine mil than you can with an ar Really? So it's actually safer for you. Even if a full metal jacket? Full, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. I'll check that out. So uh, so I have a personal question for you. I'm ready. Are you uh, uh, 9 millimeter, 40, or 45? 9 mil. Yeah. 9 mil. It's something. So I actually do some reloading too. So mm-hmm. I prefer 9 millimeter. It is just something I am completely accustomed to. I have owned 40 calibers. I've owned a Colt. Uh, it was actually a Colt. 1991 A1, so it was a 45 caliber uh, commander model, so shorter barrel, and I loved it. Just wasn't for me. Just wasn't for me. So I ended up selling it and getting an AR. Actually, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Cool, Toby. I want to kind of skip forward here and ask you a question about body armor. Okay. Uh, I know that you you did a whole course on body armor, and I I actually got a chance to watch that. You watched it too, Ethan. Yep. I think yep, a little I bit did. of it. Um, I watched it in right in the hospital. After my child was born, we were just sitting there, and I was like, I'm just going to pull this thing on and, and start listening to it. You're my about. demographic? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, for all the fathers out there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, because I've been thinking about body armor, you know, in regards to, well, what do I buy? And I'm, like, my initial thought is like, will it buy the thing that's going to protect the most? You know, if I get shot by, like, if someone's shooting me with a full metal jacket, you know, uh, 762 by 39, and I want to, like, I want to prevent against that because... Or like the the highest thing. If I want a fifty cal Barrett to hit me, and I'm just pretty protected, you know. <laughs> but uh, what would you suggest? I, I guess it kind of depends on what you're shooting. But uh, what are your suggestions for someone who's getting into maybe buying some body armor? Okay, so 
the general rule of thumb, and, and, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, and I said it in the class too, I tend not to believe in absolutes, so I really don't like using the words always and never. Those things, they just, they just bother me because I don't know the context, I don't know the situation. But generally speaking, it is commonly accepted that you should be able to stop whatever you're throwing down range. So if you're shooting a pistol round, you should have a level of armor that stops that pistol round. If you're shooting a rifle round, you should have a level of armor that stops that rifle round. So I choose to wear armor when I teach. And when we were uh, running the class that day, I was wearing armor that was going to stop whatever anybody was shooting that day. Um, That's just the choice that I make. Now, it's cool to go right to the top and say, hey, man, I'm going to get the one thing that's going to stop everything and it's going to be the end all be all. And I'm sure you had the same feeling with a handgun holster, too, right? It's like, I'm just going to get the one holster. And if you're anything like me, you've got a drawer full of holsters because there's one for this shirt. And there's one for that kind of occasion. And well, when it gets warm and right. And well, what if I want to carry this gun? There's not going to be very likely one solution that fits everything because you have to sacrifice something. So if you get, let's say, you get a level four plate front and back, which will stop a 308 armor piercing round. That's what the NIJ standard is. If you get a level four plate, you're, it's probably going to be about seven pounds, give or take, five to seven pounds, maybe a little bit more in some cases. That's a pretty heavy plate that you're putting in a carrier that already weighs... I don't know, maybe four or five pounds itself with your kit on it. So now you're looking at maybe 20 pounds. How far can you run with 20 pounds on and carry a gun? Six steps. Six steps, right, exactly. So you sacrifice something and then, okay, now you've got all this bulk. Can you shoot prone with that? Can you walk through the doorway of your house with that? Or are you so bulked out now? Like a juggernaut just walking around. Right, you have to go through (laughs) sideways. So you sacrifice something. So when you look at body armor... You have to balance what your realistic threat is going to be. What, what, what are you trying to protect against? And usually that's what you're throwing down range, but that's not always the case. I'll give you a classic example of my own argument here. I'll argue myself. Home invasion. Home invasions uh, generally do not include rifles. The, the people coming into your home typically don't have rifle calibers. They have handgun calibers. But if I'm using a rifle back then you would think, well, you got to have rifle armor. But if I know that statistically speaking, I'm more likely to face a handgun caliber, I might only choose to run handgun armor in that scenario. So you, with that, typically that's lighter weight. I can move better. It is also most of the time flexible. So then it, it moves with me and things like that. It's also is that because it's not a plate? Or what's the difference between, like, obviously a plate is just a, a steel or, or metal, like literally like a, a plate, but they also have the the carbon fiber or what is the other thing so typically it's it's a uh, ceramic resin or some type of resin. right there's there's ceramic there's polyethylene i believe is what it's called uh uhwampi for those people it's u uhwmpe um are those lighter ultra high uh, yes they are lighter because it's basically just a bunch of materials compacted together a type then, kevlar type Oh yeah, yeah. That's what so, yeah. so no, Kevlar is even different than that. Okay, um, Kevlar is just an extremely tightly woven fabric that you would find in most stuff, and Kevlar will catch it. But when a rifle round, you need to lose that speed, and you need to lose that speed quickly. The only way to do that is to hit something hard. So if you run something like a ceramic plate, typically those are fewer hits before that plate is no longer a viable option for what it's stopping. But then one could argue. 
well, I'm not going to stand there and just take rounds. I'm going to be moving, right? And I, and I absolutely understand it, and I agree with that argument. Um, steel is heavy, but it's usually less expensive and has a longer shelf life. Um, the more expensive options, usually what you pay for is convenience. So lightweight, the ability to move, usually it's a little bit uh, thicker because it has to be, but somehow still lightweight. Also buoyancy too, right? If you get a plate and you throw a steel plate in a, a pond, it's going to sink to the bottom. And if you're in between those steel steel plates, you're going to sink to the bottom. Um, and there's other plates out there that actually have, they're, they're naturally buoyant. They can support their own weight in water. Interesting. So yeah. you're not like those guys falling off to, well, in World War II, I was just thinking about the D-Day. Those guys falling in the water with all that gear just like drowning in their own gear. I don't even know if they had armor they didn't, they on. Didn't, I was just they didn't say, have I armor on, but I think they had just then. just lots of gear. So what is, Kev, what is Kevlar? Is Kevlar that just, is just, just a, a tightly woven fabric? fabric yeah. So Kevlar Layers is, of it. That won't Layers, protect, multiple will that protect against a rifle round or no? It will it will stop it. So if you put it on the backside, it will stop it. But otherwise, no. The way you defeat armor is with speed. Mm-hmm. So a small projectile moving really fast. I'll give you a, cl- a pr- prime example. 5.7 by 28 millimeter round. The 5.7 round out of a, an FN 5.7 pistol or the P90 for video gamers out there. That round was designed specifically to defeat armor. Because it's a tiny little thing moving really fast. Really fast. So that's how you defeat armors with speed. So you need to lose that speed somehow, and then the Kevlar helps catch it. Yeah, interesting. I imagine the bruise. You've you've talked to police all the time. I mean, when you get hit, I'm sure you've talked to someone before who's been shot, and their body armor has caught that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine they get an unbelievable. Oh my gosh, bruise the, 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 and the cracked ribs. Oh yeah, it'll it'll break bone. It's actually there's been reports of people who have taken rounds to the chest, and it's actually broken their rib and it's broken a piece of bone off their rib and that piece of bone gets lodged in their lungs because it chips it at the backside and just and throws it into their lungs that's right what's behind your ribs cage right in most cases so yeah the, the bruises are unbelievable now to my knowledge and i'm sure somebody out there is going to correct us but to my knowledge there has not been someone who has died as a direct result or or a sole result of the trauma they have uh that is incurred on their body, right? So if I get shot with a round, yeah, it's going to hurt and it's probably going to break bones, but I don't know of an instance where somebody has died specifically from that. There's a, an example... From the force of being shot. Right, there's the, the example... Not the penetration of being shot. ...of the guy who got shot by, I think it was a 7.62 by 54 R round, almost point blank to his helmet, his ballistic helmet, which was rated for handgun rounds. It stopped it, thankfully, and he had a really bad day for many days after that, but he lived. Wow. And his helmet's actually now, I think it might even be in like the Smithsonian or something. It's its out there. You can see uh, pictures of it, yeah. There's plenty of YouTube videos out there of soldiers just like going through buildings and then and something dings off of their helmet and they're just like, oh my gosh, you know? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So the, the everyday man, right, the average Joe, um, he... Why does he need body armor, and where would he get body armor? So, and, and, and I'll say that body armor is a combination of plate and carrier, right? Because you're not just gonna, you can't just buy plates and then just hold them duct on. Tape. Just yeah, duct, duct tape, tape them on. As you're gonna, need. so so obviously <laughs> you have to something to, to carry them with, right? So carriers are important, and and I would argue carrier is just as important as the armor you're putting in it because. If that carrier is super uncomfortable, guess what you're not going to wear? The armor that you just spent all that money on to put in there. So spend the money on the carrier. And please, 
for all that is holy, please do not buy a Condor carrier for like 50 bucks. And I say that, and I'm calling out them specifically because that's exactly what I did when I got into this game. I bought a Condor plate carrier, and I bought plates from uh, AR500, uh, the company, AR500 Armor, I think is what they call themselves. Bought those plates, bought that carrier, and it was so uncomfortable. My first thought was, how do people do this? And then I got a carrier that was actually comfortable, and I put those plates in, and I said, my gosh, this is really heavy, but you know what? It's really not that bad, because I got a lot more padding in the right places. It holds it against my body correctly. It's got to be tight. It's got to be snug, because you got to move in it, but you don't want it so tight that you can't breathe, but you don't want it so loose that it's going to flop around and smack you all the time. So yeah. the average Joe getting into it, here's what I would say. Mr. Guns and Gear on YouTube does a bunch of armor testing. He shoots it. He's a redneck like us with guns out in a field shooting things. Hey, here's what it's rated for, but here's what I'm going to shoot it with today. That is real life. Again, it goes back to that that certificate that says, oh, I passed it, and I'm a certified instructor. Yeah, but do you know how to teach? Here's your armor. Here's what it's rated to do, but does it actually perform that way? Because there's there's NIJ tested, and then there or NIJ certified, and then there's tested to NIJ standards. Any company that does their own testing, I would be very wary of. That's not to say they're they're wrong or it's not going to stop it. Just be very wary of the company that tests its own gear, because of course that marketing team is going to say it's awesome. And be very wary of the company that creates its own standard and then tests their gear against that standard. Again, not the no, pharmaceutical bad. companies do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Take this vaccine; it's good for you. Yeah. No, 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 no. Dying is is just a side effect. <laughs> a very, very good advice. I, I like your advice on kind of first time buyers. There, don't just go. With the, don't cheap out and go with the cheap option, because uh, then they'd be like, "Oh, this isn't working." So, if, yeah. if you want to do it right. Then, then maybe spend a little bit of money doing it. Cheap does not necessarily mean inexpensive either. And, and yeah. so they, they are not, inexpensive does not mean it's going to be cheap and cheap does not mean it's going to be inexpensive, right? There's plenty of crap out there that costs a lot of money and there's plenty of really good products that are just built in such a manner that they can keep costs down. Uh, I can tell you that there are plates that I have chosen to go with for pistol rounds that are $49 a plate. Now, I have seen them tested and I trust the testing that was done for that $49 plate. There are plenty of $49 plates out there that I wouldn't buy. But yeah, it just comes down to you don't have to buy the most expensive gear in the world, but you also shouldn't maybe get the least expensive. You should vet that, yeah. Have you ever seen those t-shirts? Like a, it's like a white t-shirt and you put it on and it's got armor on it. It's got body armor on the back and the front. And you can like wear it under a suit or something. So I've not seen that T-shirt, but here's what I can tell you: in my profession, I get the the privilege of working alongside uh, armor manufacturers, and there's a product out there, and I think it's called Hardline, H A R D L I N E, and it is incredibly thin and incredibly lightweight, and I've seen it tested against rifle rounds, and it blew my mind. I think it's called Hardline. And if, I cannot remember the name of it, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I will promise this to you guys. I will get you the information. You can put it in the show notes. How's that sound? So your listeners can go and do their own research on <laughs> that. That sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was I was going to bring something else up, but um, for, for time purposes here, um, 
So, Toby, last time we had, we had you on, we asked you kind of a, a personal question about uh, your your personal creed, uh, kind of what, what makes you you, and, and uh, you shared a portion of that with us. Um, for, for listeners out there, you know, creed is a, a set of beliefs or principles that guide our actions and, and, and how we, we, we act and what we do. Um, would you be willing to share an additional portion of that creed with us? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, like last time I, I shared a portion that was kind of specific to that topic. So I'll share maybe a little bit that's specific to this topic. And while it may not be a creed in the, in the classic definition, because I, I'm not the best with words, right? I, I shoot guns, right? That's what I do. Um, I'll do my best. So I believe in, in the way I look at my day, my life, and, and things like that, I worry more about knowing my surroundings than I do about how many offensive or defensive tools I have at my disposal. So I'm more concerned about knowing what's going on and knowing the situation than saying, ah, you know what, I got a gun, I got a spare mag, I've got at least 30 rounds, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'd rather know my situation because I think it's a far better idea to avoid danger altogether than to put yourself into a situation that may cause you to (laughs) make the evening news, let's say, uh, even if your actions are justified. So even if you are in the right, we've seen plenty of examples where somebody's done something that they are legally allowed to do and then have been completely ridiculed for it. And their name is now mud, right? So that's what I would say. And with that, keeping all that in mind, I don't look for targets. I look for threats. So I don't look, say, oh, that person might have to get put down. I look, say, that person looks like they're having a bad day. And I don't know what they're going to do next. So I'd rather just maybe avoid them altogether. Or if I can't avoid them altogether, they're not my number one. You look for the uncommon thing in a common situation. So you look for the uncommon in the common. Um, yeah, I look for reasons to change course rather than, and, and I look for reasons to change course and I look for means of escape rather than, okay, I know what I'm going to do if. Kind of thing. Yeah, it really it sounds like, and I think that this is as much as important, it, you know, being able to shoot, run and gun, shoot prone, all this kind of stuff, that's cool. But really when you're talking about uh, defense and understanding and and being prepared for a situation, really, it just comes down to interpreting people's social cues. It comes down to, you know, being able to read people, being able to, if people are clenching their jaw, they're clenching their fists, you know, that you can tell that they're mad. Being able to read those things is going to help you prevent a situation or retreat from a situation before it escalates to the point where you have to even pull your gun. Because when you have to, when you're at to the point where you have to pull your gun, that's like, last ditch you're gonna die uh and you don't want to have to do that just morally and all you don't have to be put in that situation and then also legally that is an an absolute nightmare that you don't even want to go through right and the other thing to to think about too we talked about the male ego before it it, in our in our our minds we want to be that white knight that hero that saves the day and everybody praises and whatnot and that is a good thing to to strive to be in some cases, but I've got a young family. I'm not looking to be anybody's white knight. I'm looking to make sure that me and my family get home safe. So I'm no longer a lone wolf. I no longer only have myself to look out for. There are other people that need me. Yeah. So, so Well, 
I was going to say, sometimes it's maybe, uh, yeah, no confrontation is better than confrontation sometimes. You know, being able to maybe talk somebody down. Or uh, if you're in a situation where if you can remove yourself from that situation, it would de-escalate, then, you know, not to say run away, but, I mean, maybe it's a good situation just to leave the leave the area and de-escalate. Yeah, and I know it's actually going to go against maybe some people's beliefs, but some of the best trained negotiators are just patrol police officers because their first call of the night might be a domestic disturbance, and now they've got a 12-hour shift after that. And they need to talk this person out of hurting themselves or somebody else, and they got to talk them down, and that doesn't make the news, right? So some of the best people you might be able to learn de-escalation techniques from are the law enforcement officers that are in your neighborhood. That's awesome. Very good. Lots of uh, lots of good advice coming from you, and, and great conversation. I, I think that there's so many different aspects to just um, gun ownership. I mean, that just has so many different avenues to explore, and I appreciate you coming and exploring with those with us, Toby. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm going to, if I may, I'd like to share one last thing, and, yeah, and I'll close on this. The most important tool that any person has is between their ears. It's your brain. It's your education. It's not a piece of kit that you can go and buy and put on a shelf somewhere. Train yourself, educate, knowledge. That will keep you safe and also keep your loved ones safe as well. So thanks for having me out, guys. It's been great. I, I really am glad to be back and enjoy those pens. I'm, like I said, I'm going to check you guys next time. <laughs> Appreciate right. it. Also, uh, Toby, go ahead and tell us about uh, your podcast. Yes. Uh, you just launched one. Tell us about I that. I did. So you guys inspired me. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while, but I did. I started a podcast. It is called The Renaissance Polymath. So if you think like a renaissance man is somebody who is a jack of all trades, master of none, which is exactly what I said on you guys' uh, podcast last time I was on. And a polymath is somebody who goes deeper, right? It, it, they're an expert on a specific topic. So a renaissance polymath is wide and deep, if you look at it that way. And, and it's mostly just going to be about exploring ideas and topics that aren't necessarily taboo, but it's more just, hey, you know, these are things that I was never taught growing up. I had to learn later in life the hard way. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what it's about. The Renaissance Polymath, anywhere you podcast. And and of course, the on-target reviews side is still the uh, the firearm side of this as well. Yep. Yeah, it's a great great podcast. I actually had a, a chance to be a guest on that podcast. You did, uh, my first one. Thank fifth, you. Fifth episode? Is that right? uh, episode four, actually. Yep. Episode four. And it was about uh, time management. So definitely go check that out. And uh, you know we'll li- link your uh, thing in the show notes. But uh, yeah, uh, again, thank you for coming on today. Uh Thank you to uh, all of our listeners yes. out there. We we appreciate you, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying the content. Uh, drop a like. Yes, thank you so much. We appreciate your support, and let's build that creed together. All right, let's do it. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, guys.